right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, and we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right, once again, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. We've got a great conversation happening. You should have been a part of the pre-conversation, but you weren't, but we're going to have it in the podcast. But before we get into this conversation, go out to Core Physical Therapy. Dot com. That's corephysicaltherapy.com. And I'm on it right now and I'm looking at it and it says treating everyone right. They do. As well as at core, everyone is welcome. Everyone is respected. Everyone is supported to achieve success. And if I want to find a location for a core of physical therapy, I just go right there. It's right there. It's in blue. And if I want to have, I don't have a referral, I just go right there. I can start therapy right there. Corephysicaltherapy.com. Find out more. You will not be disappointed. All right. Let's get cracking with this conversation. We have uh, Leonard Marshall. He is, uh, well, if you go out to leonardmarshall.com, you'll find out that he's pretty well connected and he is a serial entrepreneur. Thank you for joining us, Leonard. How are you doing? I'm doing well tonight, guys. How are you guys doing? No complaints. We're good. We're good. Yeah. yeah. Great. I'm, hey, uh, just I'm give us a little background, uh, Leonard, on, on who you are and, and so that uh, people who don't go out to leonardmarshall.com They'll know from you who you are. Sure. So I, I started my career in, in professional football in 1983. I was fortunate enough to be drafted by the New York Giants. I was MVP of the 1982 LSU Tigers, uh, which beat the last team to beat Bear Bryant in, the, uh, in, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, on their home field. And uh, lost to the, the Nebraska Cornhuskers by one point in the Orange Bowl in 1983, uh, January of 83. Uh, was fortunate to be drafted by the Giants in 1983 and uh, had an illustrious career of 12 years, which in, in pretty much encumbered, uh, let me see, three years in the Pro Bowl, uh, three times as an All-Pro, uh, both one first team, two second team, uh, MVP of the Giants three times, 1986, 1985, 1991, uh, defensive lineman of the year twice, um, a 10-year stint with the Giants, third all-time in quarterback sacks in the history of the football team, and uh, played opposite two of the greatest linebackers to ever play and wear a giant uniform in Harry Carson and Lawrence Taylor. Since then, I've gone on to become a serial entrepreneur. I've invested, bought, and sold a multitude of companies uh, throughout the country, not just New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and, of course, Florida, but uh, pretty much all over the country. Um, I still play a little bit, not as much as I used to. I'm kind of slowing down a little bit, but uh, I'm loving life. I just became a grandpa. Uh, I'm actually visiting my son up in Mawa, New Jersey tonight, and uh, uh, in the woods, of course. Uh, he just made us the grandparents. So Matthew Robert was born about nine, maybe ten weeks ago, uh, and that's kind of what I do now. You know, I'm grandpa. I, I, I'm out on your stack card. I'm sorry, I, 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 doctor. I, I've got to jump in real quick. I didn't know you went to LSU. Now I got. Now that I know that you got, that's. Let me just tell you, I grew up in California, right? And, right. and it's like, oh, it's the Pac-10. We always just thought about the Pac-10, USC. And then I come. We moved to uh, uh, Mandeville, 
And I, and I don't know. It's like the Borg. I got just sort of pulled into the LSU way, the SEC way. You just get pulled in. And now I'm all just all into LSU. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's a trip, man. You ever been to a game on a Saturday afternoon? It's, oh, it's, it's insane. It's I remember insane. the first time. It was it's, insane. It's insane. It is. Okay. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing all right, Dr. Rick. I could go on forever. Well, first of all, your 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 Pac Ten's about to get dragged into the SEC. <laughs> no, is it like and UCLA are uh, are are going to become proud members of the SEC real soon? Yeah, big time. Yeah, That's the first thing. And Leonard, first of all, I got to thank you for 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 coming. And you said something. So Aeneas Williams, probably one of my best buddies. And when I told him we're going to have you on the podcast, he went wild. So. Uh, shout out, and uh, he's just a great guy and great guy. Uh, speaks unbelievably highly of you. So, yeah, um, all good. So, all good. so you know, you're you're a legend, and, and and we love having legends on on our podcast. So again, I want to thank you for uh, for for helping us because you're you're making us look good. Um, go ahead. No, you're welcome. I said, you know, uh, uh, the, the year that I met Aeneas um, was, was was like insane because, uh, you know, I knew about him and I knew about what he was doing in St. Louis. Uh, and then they moved to L.A. and, and um, you know, um, so forth and so on. But I knew about him. I knew about Marshall. Um, I knew about, you know, the things that they were doing. And uh, most of their stuff was uh, my career was all pretty much over. Uh, but, uh, you know, you watch your homeboys and you root for your homeboys and you root for them to be successful. And I'm not only am I happy, I'm proud of him uh, and some of the things he's accomplished in the game. And for the most part, the fact that he's a good father, a good Christian guy, and uh, a guy who's done well with his family. Really has. I mean, he's a pastor in St. Louis. Um, you know, Marshall's from Louisiana, as you know. And uh, I talked to Marshall today about something else, a uh, young, young athlete we're looking after. But, again, um, you're a legend, and, and being on our podcast is great. So I think before we get started, I mean, you kind of went over a little bit, but t tell us about kind of that transition from high school to LSU because that's kind of a, a, a major league jump. Um, and and, and kind of tell us a, a, about the change in work ethic that, that you needed to undergo going to LSU? Well, the one thing that I learned from high school to college and the transition was when you get to college, everyone's fast and strong. And the one thing that, you know, I wasn't used to was I wasn't used to getting bullied. Um, and I meant getting bullied on the football field. Um, I got bullied quite a bit my freshman year. Because I went up with guys that were a little bit bigger, faster, stronger, uh, and, 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 and were pretty much gifted athletes that were there um, for a year or two before me. Um, I took that my freshman year, and I let that become my motivation to become a player and, uh, and to become a, a respected, dominant player in my position. Uh, over, the, over the four years... I adopted that adage that as long as you're green, you'll continue to grow. As long as you think you're ripe, you'll never begin to rot. 
So I didn't want to become a know-it-all. What I wanted to do was be a sponge. Learn from guys like Lyman White and John Adams and Tommy Frizzell and Georgia Tia and and Ed John Ed Bradley and 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 um um I can sit here and name names Charlie Alexander and all the different guys and the work attitude and the work ethic that they put in not only in the weight room but in the classroom. Um, the one thing that I found out early on um, about LSU is. You as an athlete, you must develop and establish some discipline right away. If you don't become disciplined, three, four years will go by and you will have achieved nothing. So that in itself was my motivation. I didn't want to go back to Franklin, Louisiana. I didn't I couldn't see myself shucking oysters or 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 picking uh, crawfish out the ground or working in the oil and gas industry in Louisiana. Not that that was above me. It just wasn't an option for me. And, and I made damn sure that each and every time I put my hand on the ground at a football practice or a football game, that each and every week I continued to get better and improve. And hopefully someone will, I will catch someone's eye. And it just so happens that I caught someone's eye. And when I did, I took advantage of it. So, so what would you tell so what would you tell someone junior or senior in high school right now who's playing high school football? What do they need to do to make that transition? How are they going to be the next Leonard Marshall? I think you surround yourself with good people and good things that happen to you. That's the first thing. Don't be a don't be a follower, be a leader. Let others watch the way you work, watch the way you do things, and watch the way you participate in the classroom uh, and off and on the football field. Get involved in the community. You'll come to understand the, the strifes and the struggles that people go to on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. Uh, let the smaller things define who you really are at an early age and take nothing for granted. Every handshake, every business card, everyone that comes into your life, they have a meaning and a purpose. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, that's for you to determine. Because you're going to meet a whole hell of a lot of people along the way. And believe me, I met a whole hell of a lot of people along the way. I mean, one of the things I remember the most about the recruitment process when I was a kid being recruited uh, out of high school, I went on three, three trips, official visits. One official visit was the University of Alabama. One official visit was the University of Oklahoma. And one official visit was LSU. When I went to Oklahoma, my roommate on the trip was Eric Dickerson. <laughs> I had no idea who the guy was. I just knew that whatever I did in Norman, Oklahoma, that I wanted to leave an impression upon Lucia Selman and Barry Switzer <laughs> that to say this kid from Franklin, Louisiana, really conducted himself like a well-raised, well-groomed, and educated young man. He did nothing to disrespect what we're trying to do here at the University of Oklahoma. The same thing happened when I visited Alabama and I visited there with, with, with guys like Mike Pitts, Robbie Jones, um, um, guys that became household names in the NFL and, and some of them I played with and against in the NFL. And at LSU, the same thing applied. Uh, you know, teammates like Ramsey Dardar, Malcolm Scott, Dalton Hilliard, um, um, Gary James, 
uh, Lance Smith, uh, and I can continue to name names of guys that went on, that followed in my footsteps and went on to become great players in the NFL level. Um, and then guys before me, like Lyman White, you know, John Adams, David Woodley, who was a quarterback in Miami with the Dolphins, who took the Dolphins to one of their Super Bowl games, uh, which they lost. They lost the game to the Raiders, but um, I'm not the Raiders. They lost the game to someone else. Washington. Uh, going up, I can't remember that game in particular, but I know David Woodley was their quarterback in 1982. Um, and then they drafted Dan Marino out of Pitt the same year that I came out of college. So, um, but you remember that. You remember that. And if there's any one thing I'll tell a young kid is go to class, make sure you do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. Remember that the people you surround yourself with, those are the ones you're going to be judged by. So surround yourself with good people and good things will happen to you. That's basically it. That's awesome. So, so a little off script here. Why did you choose? I mean, you got Oklahoma, Barry Switzer, you got Alabama storied program, and you got LSU storied program. What, what, what put you towards going to LSU? Why'd you choose LSU? There was a crazy redneck football coach by the name of Charlie McClendon that wore his hat the wrong way, carried a toothpick in his mouth, and talked real stupid. And and <laughs> I can I can identify with him, and, and I'll never forget it. I got Barry Switzer, Bear Bryant, Charlie McClendon sitting in my mother's house on the official signing day. And my mother said, son, you better make your mind up because these three men all think they're at school. <laughs> and I told her, I said, mama, I'm going to take three hats. I'm going to put them on the table. When I come out that room, I will make my decision. I came out the room. I signed the big eight letter of intent to go to OU. Um, I turned around a week later, I decommitted, and I chose to stay in Baton Rouge. So I figured that if I didn't play in the NFL, at least I'll have an opportunity to get a great job in my home state and that the people will take care of me where I came from. Because they wouldn't forget or would ever forgive you if you were with Alabama. Oh, FYI. You know, they would have never forgiven me. And then I went to Oklahoma. Carry on. Yeah, that's so strong. So, so you named a lot of athletes that you played with, Eric, that you uh, obviously met and knew. So, so give us, you know, there's sort of the famous hit that we got to ask you about. I sure. told Colnick I would ask you about it, even though you probably sure. told the story a hundred times. But I want to know that about hit the hit on Joe Montana, and I want to know about your two or three biggest moments uh, playing for the Giants. And, and your career. So kind of tell All us right. about Joe Montana because that's storied. Everyone wants to hear it, so I got to ask it. And then tell us about two or three other storied moments of Leonard Marshall playing in the NFL. So I can tell you that the, the Montana play is, every, is a football coach's dream. It's everything that a coach teaches a player to do. The first thing that a coach tells you, the ground is hot. So always remember to get up off the ground and never give up on the football play. So if you look at that football play, I make a pass rush move, I slip, I fall. The guys, Tom Rathman dies at my feet to chop me, chop my feet from under me. I never give up on the play. I'm crawling. I look and I see Montana pull up and he extends his left hand to tell Jerry Rice to keep running. And right as he extends his left hand to come back, 
and pat the ball to throw it downfield, like heave it over the head of Mark Collins. I leave my feet. And when I leave my feet, I said to myself, oh, this is going to be one of the greatest plays in the history of pro football. I'm going to knock the living shit out of him. And he's not going to know I'm even nowhere around him. And when it happens, you know, all I can remember is him wheezing underneath me and my hand underneath his sternum. And then we roll over and I see a big patch of grass in his helmet. And when I look up, Lawrence is laughing. Like (laughs) the picture of the play, Lawrence has got this big grin on his face. Like (laughs) (laughs) He, he, he got away from me, but homeboy got him. Homeboy got him, and he is really God. So all I can remember was that and and thinking that it's lights out Irene for him. And there it is. I I just Googled it, and, of course, it pops right up. If I do Leonard Marshall hit, and it just fills in the blank with uh, Joe Montana, and there's a signed uh, photo here that says lights out, and it's, it's, it's quite a shot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's quite a shot, you know. Definitely uh, horizontal right there. Yeah, he's definitely horizontal. I think I got the guy off the ground and the whole nine. But I could tell you that three of the greatest plays I remember from my career was in 1984, we, we were a team of destiny. We were, trying to, we were trying to be a team to be a playoff team. Bill Parcells almost lost his job. And so we played the Rams in the first round of the playoffs. And if we win the game, we go on to play the 49ers. Now, we knew that that 49er team was pretty good because, you know, they had a good nucleus of players. At that time, players would come back and they would compete and they would get better. The Niners always had great coaches. And great coaches lead to good players. And good players help other players get better. So they had guys like Ronnie Lott and, 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 and mostly um, uh, um, Michael Carter and, and, and Kevin Fagan and, and um, uh, who was the kid, the Dwayne Board. Um, Keena Turner, just a, a number of different athletes, uh, Matt Millen, and I can sit here and name names and names of players, uh, Carlton Williamson, and, and a host of others. We were a team that was trying to get to that level. We wanted to become the household names of players. So when we beat the Rams in the playoffs on a play where I tackled Dwayne Crutchfield behind the line of scrimmage, and uh, we get to win, we go on to play the Niners, even though we lost 21 to 10. It was a springboard uh, for our team to now say, okay, guys, we've arrived. We showed the, the world that we can play with the big boys. Now next year in 85, we'll come back and be better. And in 85, we were better. In 85, I was defensive lineman of the year. We, uh, we won some 12 or 13 games. You know, we lose to the best team in football that year, the Chicago Bears. And then the following season, we go on to beat uh, the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. And I think one of the defining moments of my career as I had two and a half sacks of John Elway in the Super Bowl and nine tackles. And Carl Banks and I had probably the best day that two defensive players could have in a game uh, statistically against John Elway and the Broncos. So those moments from 83, from 83 to 86 were some of the most defining moments of my career, and moments in time that I'll never forget. That's just awesome. That's just awesome. And, I mean, those are storied. I mean, those are storied years and storied teams, really. So um, to be a part of that is just, just, just amazing. So you're in the NFL. Tell us about kind of the waning – well, I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you about injuries in the NFL. I'm going to ask you about kind of your last year or two and, and, and 
kind of how you get ready to transition to do all the stuff that you've done subsequent to your playing career. So tell me about injuries you've had in the NFL and then kind of segue into kind of your last couple of years and what do you have to do to transition and what advice you have for guys that are transitioning out of the NFL? Cause you've done a good job. Well, the one thing that I've been able to do was I, the one thing I was able to do while I was playing was to go back to school. And I credit George Martin and, and Dean Verkins, Kenneth Verkins at Fowley Dickinson university here in New Jersey with talking me back into making sure that I got that sheepskin someday. So the, the beauty of it in 1991 after seven seasons, I was able to make up some 36 credit hours from LSU. And, um, and I got my degree in business finance from Fairleigh Dickinson University up here in New Jersey. Um, so kudos for that, uh, for, to George Martin and, and Harry Carson and some of the leadership those guys instilled in a bunch of young players and took me along uh, with them. Um, in 87, after the 86 Super Bowl, uh, it was a strike-ridden season. And it just so happened that, you know, we were a team that we were trying our best to, to repeat. And because of the strike, our team became very divided. We had, a, we had our best player go back and cross the picket line while we were out. And uh, that, that caused some dissension amongst our team. We had to try to do our best to overcome that. Um, and, and that year was trying. 88 was a real trying year. It's 88, I break my, uh, I break my wrist while playing the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis on a play where I sacked Neil Lomax. And one of the linemen was, was upset that I beat him on the play uh, to sack their quarterback to win the game. So he dove on top of me, and he, he pretty much rolled my wrist up, my left wrist up. So um, I had to find a way to come back. And the defining moment was that um, I got the team to commit to making me a brace for my left arm. And I came back with a vengeance. The next season, I had nine and a half quarterback sacks. I led the defensive line of our team in, in quarterback sacks pretty much for all 10 of my years with the New York Giants. Um, um, a couple of those years, uh, I had more sacks than, than, than Lawrence Taylor um, and made more impact plays than any guy on our defense. Uh, so I, I took a lot of pride in that. Um, and I guess that stems back to um, college coaching from Pete Jenkins, uh, pro coaching from Lamar Leachman, who was one of his best friends, and and motivation from Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. Um, Bill Belichick was really the savior and grace of my career because early on in my career, he instilled two things in me that 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 I took with me and I let it be a driving force behind the way I played the game. One, he instilled toughness. And two, he instilled attention to detail. And he is the most detail-oriented coach probably in football. That's why he has seven Super Bowl rings, if not eight. And he'll probably end up with 10 or 12 of them before it's all over because he knows how to help a player grow and mature. And then when that player gets there, he knows how to challenge him week in and week out. He did it to me. He did it to Lawrence. He did it to Harry. He did it to Carl Banks. He did it to George Martin, um, who was who like my brother and like a guy I, I have the utmost respect for, who played on some very lousy football teams with the Giants, but yet had a 13, 14-year career, and, uh, and I have to respect that. So, 
so now you're at the, you're kind of at the end and, and, and tell us about the last year or two and, and, and tell us, you know, what are your thoughts? You know, everyone's career has to come to an end. Are you saying to yourself, look, I got my degree. I'm going to coach. I got my degree. I'm going to go into business. I got my degree. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, what, what are you going to tell that guy? Cause, cause you need to start where I think you need to start that conversation with yourself long before your career ends. And a lot of the athletes, I take care of a lot of pro athletes. And I say, look, you don't know when your career is going to end. You don't know. You don't know. That's right. And, and it could, it could, if you're, you know, Joe Montana, it could end with Leonard Marshall Jr. racking you up on the field. And that could be basically the last time you're going to be, you know, meaningfully playing. And you want to, you want to leverage, you know, that great career or your football um, fame into into real life because you're going to be a real life citizen a lot longer than you're going to be an NFL football player. So, so when did that start for you? And what are you going to tell these young kids? How, how are they going to transition? 1980, 1993, I lead the New York Giants. I signed a pretty big contract with the New York Jets. Uh, I get a signing bonus for over two million dollars to go play for the Jets. Um, I'm nowhere near done yet. I got friends and players calling me and saying, man, how long are you going to play? And I'm like, I don't know, fellas. I feel good. I'm healthy enough. My body's lean enough. I don't know. Uh, defining moment. We're eight, we're eight and two, and we play the Indianapolis Colts at our place in, in the old stadium, Giant Stadium. I break my form on a play where I tackle um, – a running back behind the line of scrimmage, a guy by the name of Roosevelt Potts, their fullback. My teammate comes in and he puts his helmet right on my forearm and he cracks the arm in the radius, a compound fracture in my left forearm. I always said if I had an injury like that, it would be tough for me to come back because it would be hard for me to train and motivate myself to really come back and be functional and be that beast of a player that it takes to, 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 to play my position. I had just taken on the role of playing Eagle tackle in a Pete Carroll defense uh, with, Greg Ryan, with Greg Robinson as my defensive line coach. And while I helped take a lot of my young teammates along with me, I felt so bad because I really wanted to win as a New York Jet. I wanted to win the Super Bowl for Leon Hess. And um, I felt the man never really got his just due in New York. And when I joined the organization, they rolled out the red carpet for me. They treated me like a king. And I felt like I left them, I left them short. I left them hanging. Um, that was probably the point in time in my career where I said, okay, let her, either I pick up the pieces, try one more time, uh, and, and, and either move on or retire. Well, I tried again. I joined the Washington Redskins. Uh, they were a team that was real young, that a real young head coach uh, who I thought and felt was a really good football coach, but I just didn't think he could get the guys to respect him and fear him like most of the coaches that I had played for before. And I felt like there was a lot of dissension amongst the troops. Uh, it was almost as if the inmates were running the asylum uh, of the locker room. And um, I just felt that we, we never reached the pinnacle. We had a young quarterback, and Heath Shuler, 
who was drafted in the first round by Tennessee, who was given a lot of money to go and play in D.C. And he couldn't get the team to rally around him. Um, and so I, I decided that it was time for me to go. Twelve seasons in the NFL, I felt, was enough. I had accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. Um, I had set all sort of benchmarks for myself with the New York Giants. And I just felt like I'd gotten a whole hell of a lot done. You said, let there be light. So, you know, uh, um, that was probably when I said to myself, okay, do I go on now and, and, and become a dad and, and ride off into the sunset? And that's exactly what happened. Uh, 1994 was my last season with the Redskins. Uh, the woman I was dating at the time, uh, we ended up getting pregnant. We ended up having a baby. We ended up getting married. We moved to Florida. And that's when the transition began. And um, reality set in. I no longer have this check coming to me every week. You know, now I've got to go out and, and earn it. So if I don't kill it, I don't eat it. So, you know, luckily enough, I saved enough money and my assets were producing me income. But the, the one thing I needed the most was support for my family, health insurance, um, um, the ability for my kid to have everything she needed uh, in terms of her growth in the next direction of her life. And uh, hopefully I can raise her a lot better than my father was able to raise us because I had additional means that he didn't have and there weren't seven miles there was one mile uh, along with the two of us so um the beauty of it is i wanted to be the best i could possibly be for my daughter and i think i did that and did that very well she's now 28 years old full-grown a woman and uh and my son's 32 years old full-grown and a man uh and a practicing attorney here in new york new jersey um, and also licensed in Florida. So I'm very happy with what I've been able to do for them and uh, the way I've been able to help them grow. Well, congratulations. That's, you know, Thank that, you. That, is, that is maybe the most important part of your, of your career, your two kids. So, so what would you tell them? I mean, so you got somebody, they're a rookie, their second year, and I deal with this day in and day out. What would you tell them? And again, this is a little off script how to manage your money, how to manage your life. What, what are you going to tell, you know, somebody as, as um, kind of a living legend in the NFL? Just ask yourself the same question every day. Am I the best that I could possibly be? And if I'm not, then ask yourself why? Because you have the same of everything that everyone else has. The, the second thing is surround yourself with good people and good things will always happen to you. You surround yourself with uh, crap, and crap will come your way. It comes your way often and anytime it wants to. The last thing I'll tell you, and I used it before, as long as you're green, you'll continue to grow. It's when you think you're ripe and a know-it-all, you'll begin to rot. So always be willing to learn. Remember, God gave you two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. So... Use your eyes, use your ears, and pay attention to what someone's saying when they say it to you. They're not talking to hear themselves talk. They're talking to have a purpose and a meaning in your life. You need to be, you need to adapt to that and then use that as your motivation to, to allow yourself to become influenced. Uh, and whether it's influenced the right way or the wrong way, because you will learn either way. 
you'll learn what's good and what's bad by those from those people. Um, but all you know, like I always tell people, just just surround yourself with good things and good things will happen for you. Surround yourself with shit and shit will follow you. That's amazingly good advice. Pretty simple, but that is amazing. It's amazing. Very, very accurate advice. And accurate. I think we can all, all relate to that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and I say this wholeheartedly, man. You know, I, I had people that disappoint me that I never would, would have thought would have disappointed me. I've had people that have gone above and beyond my expectations of them. And today, they're some of my best friends. I've had people tell me, Leonard, that's wrong. You don't want to do that. And because I respect them so much, I've taken that advice. And guess what? It's worked out. The shit, he knew what he was talking about. But that comes from, from establishing mutual communication and respect for someone who's trying to educate and advise in a good way, not in a bad way. Not to be a know-it-all or be someone trying to tell you what to do how to do it, when to do it, where to do it. Just someone giving a damn enough and, and, and is of concern for your well-being just as they are of themselves. That's excellent. So now you're done with the NFL. What, what happens next? What, what, what does Leonard Marshall do when he leaves the uh, National Football League? And how did you, and Wait, wait. And how did you become such a, a force in the business world? You, you need to tell us this. So the one thing I did, I hit the ground running. I, I hooked up with some guys in the securities industry in Florida. And um, I, I wanted to learn the securities industry um, inside out. And I wanted to learn it from the ground up. And so I went to work with guys in the, uh, in the brokerage business. And I got a, a guy who became a mentor and a good friend. Uh, he's no longer with us uh, by the name of Burke Gusray. And Mr. Gusray took me under his wing and, and, and kind of showed me the good, bad, and ugly of being in the, uh, in the securities business. The one thing I was able to determine within three years was that I didn't want to get sued for losing somebody's money. So, again, you know, I took that advice. I ventured. I learned. And I got the hell out. Uh, what I did, what I also learned was not to put my money in some of those garbage companies that I learned about early on in the securities business. I parlayed the relationship into going into the licensed business in the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. I started a company called Pro Star Athletic. Um, and I started competing in the uh, in the licensed business by selling products to Sears, JCPenney's, Montgomery Wards, Big Five, Guard Stores, um, Myers 50 Acres, Walmart, Target, and some of the other big retailers. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it became fruitful and eventful for me. And it also became perishable because I put cash in my pocket. So, so, well, so I, that, I, I just have to chime in here. Is somebody chir chirping at you off to the side there? Is that your wife? Yeah, my wife was chiming in, telling me the baby's sleeping. So, um, <laughs> um, so, you know, so it was, you know, it's just, you know, a good thing that uh, I was able to, uh, to transition the way I did and learn along the way, man, and really, you know, uh, take that advice. Uh, from the securities business, I went into, I mean, from the uh, sports apparel business, I went into the uh, mortgage business. I opened up a, a mortgage shop in Florida called Capital Source Mortgage. I ran the company for about six years. 
when the whole mortgage thing collapsed in 07, um, or while it was collapsing, I was actually serving as an executive in residence at Seton Hall and working on my certification in management at Seton Hall, which I achieved. Um, um, I also taught in the Stillman School of Business for six years. Um, loved that. Truly enjoyed that. Met a lot of people, including uh, the great uh, Rick Gentile, who was an understudy to Rune Orlidge at Monday Night Football. Uh, I worked for a great lady in the name of, by the name of Karen Voroff, who today is one of my dearest friends in the world here in New Jersey. Um, so like I said before, I, I, I drink the Kool-Aid I pour. You know, I, I adopted that. As long as you're green, you'll continue to grow. And I just keep growing as a result of the people in the context that I have and the people I come into. You know, I, I fell into the CBD business because of head trauma from the NFL. I had no idea what CBD was. I had no idea what hemp was. I know I now know hemp and cannabidiol um, just as well as the uh, as the pharmaceutical people in the business do. Um, I've sold it. I bought it. I've traded it. I've, I've traded it as a commodity. Um, I love the product. I use it. Um, um, I've even tried the medicinal cannabis. Uh, I sell the medicinal cannabis. Uh, I sell CBD. And um, um, I think it's the, one of the greatest things in the world that uh, someone can treat themselves from a flower of this type versus pharmaceutical drugs. So, you know, a lot of people have uh, uh, a negative outlook on the use of these products. And I say, I think you're being very short-sighted if you don't look at what the properties do and how many people they affect and how many people they cure uh, versus those who drink alcohol, those who pop pills, and those who you don't know that are drinking alcohol and popping pills while they're on the highway. So, so I, I think I think you're on to something big. Um, we're we're currently involved in a study looking at NFL football players. We're going to talk about your CTE in a minute. And um, basically, we've got 23 pro NFL football players pre significant CTE were on unbelievable drugs, thorazine, opioids, and and to a T, all of them are now doing medical cannabis um and much much not really cbd but cbd thc combinations and 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 different um mostly edibles but 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 some juices etc and i don't think there's a question that in 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 the future um we're going to be treating this whole construct with with some combination of cbd thc and i think you're 200 percent right i think what we're doing with opioids is 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 criminal and, and alcohol is alcohol. I mean that's you know, that's gotta people have to look at that as the Coke Pepsi challenge, you know, alcohol versus um cannabis and anyone who's picking alcohol is is, is picking the wrong drink. So I applaud you. So tell us, you know, you, you played in the league where probably we're gonna find out ninety-five to ninety-nine percent of the people are gonna have some element of CTE. Tell us about your journey in, in, in CTE and kind of what you did after you played. Did you have some concussions and, and how you treated it? So 2007, I start, I start comparing myself to a bunch of the guys that I actually knew and played with and some I played against. 
three of the guys that I spoke to uh, during that course of time, actually four. One was uh, was uh, Reggie Roby. The other one was David Little, David Durison. And I had a couple of conversations with my teammate, Harry. And Reggie Roby ended up committing suicide. David Little ended up committing suicide. David Durison took a 44 Magnum and put it to his chest and, and committed suicide. So prior to that, I started working on a book. When I started trading stories with guys, I had conversations with the former tight end for the Patriots, um, two-time Super Bowl winner Ben Coates. And uh, I asked Ben the, the hard question. And this is in my book entitled When the Cheering Stops. Um, I asked Ben the hard question. What is the toughest challenge for you today in terms of being a dad and having three children versus you playing in the NFL and having to block a 300-pound defensive lineman week in and week out to earn a paycheck? What's your greatest challenge today? He said, Leonard, I've been forced to swing a hammer. I've been blackballed from being a coach in the NFL. I don't have an opportunity to coach in any teams. I've coached at two different teams. I've worked as a um, scout team coach um, with a couple of teams. I'm trying to get my foot in because football is my life. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I don't know how I'm going to take care of myself. I don't know what, what the next move might be. So during that time, I felt really bad about that. And as I'm feeling bad about Ben, I start talking to Dave Durson about the same thing. And these chapters are in my book, again. Um, they made me think about Leonard. They made me take a deeper dive into Leonard. And the one thing I wanted to do was try to find a way to improve my brain health. So I started reading about CBD. Along the way, I meet a woman that changes my life. Her name is Christine Iannuzzi. She's a former executive director of, uh, of marketing at HBO. She left HBO to start a venture of her own uh, promoting cannabis and the use of CBD and cannabis. Uh, the company she developed is called CW Expo. And she provides retail companies the opportunity to connect with the public and those that are looking to consume these products on a national basis. She does a show in LA, a show in Vegas, a show in New York City, and a show in Miami. She taps into every market. Uh, one of the things she did was she introduced me to a company called Elixinol. Um, I found Elixinol to be an unbelievable grouping of products. Um, the terpenes and tinctures that they offered were incredible. Um, they helped to change my demeanor, my body language, uh, my resistance to light, the headaches that I was having, and the bell ringing in my head from all the different blows to my head. We did an average. We looked at film and we calculated plays in the NFL and plays in practice. I had over half a million blows to my head over a 12-year career in the NFL. And it's tough to calculate which of them were concussions or not, but I can tell you that regardless of concussions, the blows to the head with the helmet that we use to play in 
I don't know what to begin to tell you that, you know, if I knew then what I know now, maybe I would have made a different decision about playing as long as I did in the NFL. But the, the, the sad part about it is along the way in playing 12 years, I never thought about it. I never thought about it. I never, I never, in a contract, it was never any language to say you could potentially develop CTE. That wasn't in a contract. You knew you could have a knee injury, have a neck injury, have a back injury, have a spine injury, have a shoulder injury, have an ankle or foot injury. You knew that. Maybe break your arm. You knew that. But you did not know a damn thing about chronic traumatic encephalopathy or the cause and prevention of it. Nowhere. So then I started to dive into this and read more and use products and try this, try that. I meet this guy by the name of, of, of uh, I reconnect with um, um, Julian Bales. And Dr. Bales at the time was the team doctor for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we're comparing stories. We're talking about Mike Webster. And we're talking about Justice Strozik. And we're talking about Terry Long. And we're talking about different players that played for the Steelers that were dealing with um, head trauma. And I'm asking them questions about Mel Blount and Donnie Shell because those two guys were power hitters and power players and 200-pound cornerbacks playing in the NFL and tackling big bodies like Earl Campbell and some of the other guys in the league. And I'm saying to myself, I'm almost, I'm 280 pounds and 9% body fat. These guys are 210, 20 pounds and 7, 8, 9, 10% body fat. You know, it's almost like a locomotive running into a locomotive every weekend. Right. So what should I anticipate that's going to happen to Leonard or what really happened to Leonard while he was doing this. And I'll never know. I mean, I went through that study at UCLA with Joe DeLamalore, uh, Mark Duper, and, uh, and Tony Dorsett. The four of us came back with signs of CTE. Then the next thing you know, we start reading this bullshit about uh, not being able to detect CTE in the living and all this. You got to be dead. They got to cut your brain open. They got to examine the tar protein on your brain. They want to look at that little ball that sits in the frontal lobe area of your brain. You know, all that kind of crap. I went through PET scans, CAT scans, MRIs, uh, with contrast, without contrast. Um, um, different um, um, uh, baseline assessments. And so, um, you know, all that factored into uh, my decision after football. And uh, I wish I didn't have to deal with that. But it's reality. Now, if I'm today's player, I got to worry about that. I got to worry about that. Because your contract now tells you, you need to know this before you sign up to play, that you can end up with this problem. And there's nothing the National Football League will do for you if you do end up with that problem. Right. And I think you're right. I think the tau particles and, and, and the whole, uh, what we know now and the whole project in Boston, et cetera, uh, in 2007, you know, sports guys like myself, we'd see it. We'd see comes, kids come into the office, um, running backs, and they would, they would have little cards, and it would say, this is how I get back home, or these are my kids' names. And you would just say to yourself, what, what's going on here? And, and, you know, just to be honest, I, I just don't think the league was forthcoming. But 
at this point, um, you're going to see more and more athletes take that, you know, whether that's take that into, into account and, 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 and try to make a decision, as you said, you know, should I play two years? Should I play four years? Should I not play at all? Um, and that's, that's, that's going to be an individual decision, but some guys are going to say, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze here. Exactly. Exactly. And, then, and you're seeing that with some of these young kids now. Some of them are walking away from the game after three, four, five years. You know, I say, I, I say to a kid, if you really want to do it, do it the right way. Get vested, establish a pension, save your money, put away 40% of what you earn every year, regardless. Defer compensation if you can. Uh, annuitize money while you're playing so that it can go to work for you when you're out the game. So that when you're 45 years old, you have marginal income. Uh, you got a you got a, a, a decent amount of money coming in anywhere between fifty and eighty five thousand dollars a month that'll take care of you and your family for the rest of your life, and 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 that's the key. I mean, today, you know, they're paying a guy a million dollars a ball game. Hell, I had to fight the Giants just to get paid a hundred thousand a ball game. So, it's a whole different world now, fellas. I mean, I, I look at Leonard Williams and God bless him. He's going to get $16.9 million this year to play defensive end for the Giants. I wish the Giants would have paid. If the Giants, if LT, Carl Banks, and I were on the same team playing for the Giants, they would have had to borrow money from the Jets just to pay the three of us in today's game. And that's what's crazy. That's what's crazy, fellas. No, I, I, no and, I, and I think that, you know, you, you kind of said you gave us the secret sauce. I think that's exactly right. And you see guys, the Andrew Lux, and people walking away and, and, and saying, you know, I'm not going to get hit in the head again. And, and you're 100 you, – you have just hit it in the – you hit it out of the ballpark. And I think they do need to save their money. They need to be prudent. They need to do what you've done and, and make a career because, again, you're going to be – you're going to be alive a long time and you're not going to be in the NFL. And if you can, you know, cash a check every month and get a little bit of income, you don't have to make $20 million a year. You can live fine. But, you know, save your money, and I think that's right. So what's just next for Leonard is, Marshall? Go ahead. I'm just sorry. Just about the that, that NFL means not for long. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good. That is very good. So what's next for Leonard Marshall Jr.? What, 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 what do we – you're a grandfather. You've been very successful. You, you, you've given us great information, you know, kind of how to grow up to be a man, how to practice, how to com comport yourself. What's next? I think being elected to the, the New York football Giants ring of honor in 2022. Uh, there's a lot of rumbling going on about that. There's a lot of right rumbling going on because of the career that I had, the body of work I had in the Giants uniform, and the fact that it is one of the greatest franchises in the history of the National Football League. And I was so proud to be a member of the New York football Giants for 10 football seasons and walk in the footsteps of greats like Y.A. Tittle, Roosevelt Greer, Emlyn Tennell, um, Spider Lockhart, um, my homeboy, John Mendenhall, my teammate, Harry Carson and Lawrence Taylor, Phil Sims, Carl Banks, Pepper Johnson, George Martin, Jimmy Burt, and all the host of the other guys that I played with. And um, of anything, I think it'll be one of the greatest honors that have ever been bestowed upon me, but one that my family is, it's too bad my dad's no longer alive because I really want him to see this 
um, because he didn't have these opportunities. And he watched Emlyn Tunnell play because Emlyn Tunnell um, um, played and made his first um, stint in the uh, in the Pro Bowl uh, in 1961 when I was born. So oh. it it would it it, it 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 made his last stint. I'm sorry. So it would, it would it would make me very proud if that were to happen. No very doubt. Proud. No doubt. And, and 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 you know he may be he may be in heaven watching you and, and be very proud. And you know what? Your whole family should be very proud because not only, you know, were you a storied football player, you're, you've done a lot for football. You're a great community guy. And Thank you've you. really shown people how to do it. And, and, and you know what? That's, being that kind of a mentor is really, really impressive. So, again, thank you. Yeah, I think Charlie Wilson says it the best in that song called I'm Blessed. Uh, yep. I'm really blessed. I really lived the best, uh, a blessed life. And I kudos to my parents for teaching me what right from wrong and, and showing me the way to do it, you know, showing me the way to do it and do it respectfully. So. Well, listen, thank you for being on Scotty. You're, 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 you're never going to get another opportunity to talk to a guy like this. I, I'm all giddy with excitement. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, you're, you're uh, talking about, uh, names that well, I was growing up or I was following. And it's like, Oh my gosh. Oh, he knew. Oh my gosh. He knew him too. Oh, I was just all, I didn't want to show it during the conversation. I'm a <laughs> That's professional. All right. That's all right. And by the way, yeah. And, and, and Dr. Rick Franklin, right. Just FYI is between new Iberia and Morgan city. It's down there. That's <laughs> It's got a population right now at a booming six mil or six thousand seven hundred. That's correct. That's, That's amazing, man. That's, That's amazing correct. that you came from. The and by the way, I have one more question to ask you. Your stat card says that you had a couple of safeties. Were they, were they exciting? Did you they get all exciting. excited about that? <laughs> the first one was my rookie year. I, it I is. Six. I see it right there, man. Yeah, Jim Puckett. Yeah, and, and it's got to be just a, a a great great feeling. You know, yeah. I did it, man. And then everybody yeah. give you the, the old high five punch back that whatever it is, going back to the uh, sideline. Wow. That's one an excellent great, one of the greatest football plays I ever remember is we're playing the Redskins in in, in, in Giant Stadium. It's the first time that a division uh -huh. rival beat a division rival three times in the same season. We beat the Redskins 17 to nothing at our place. And I sacked Jay Schrader in Jay uh Schrader. Trader and I separated from the ball, and the next, the next thing, or the next play, we score on offense. We beat them seventeen nothing at our place, and at that time, the Giants didn't, the uh, the Giants didn't want to give us a ticker tape parade because Mayor Koch wouldn't allow American Express to play pay for a ticker tape parade in New York. Had we won the Super Bowl, the wow. Mets win the win the win the World Series that year, which was a push for us to win the Super Bowl. We go on to play the Super Bowl, win it. We come back and we don't get no parade. But the fans gave us a parade in the stadium the, the night we beat the Redskins. Uh, for the uh, so that was a, a, something I'll never forget. That's good stuff, man. And I'm, I'm as I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm reminiscing. You knew Boomer Esiason. I mean, come on. I knew him too. Like, Ronnie Lott too. What's that? Ronnie Lott too. Was a Ronnie Lott. UCLA, right? USC. USC, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, Ronnie Lott. <laughs>
So don't come after me. Yeah. Miserable hitter. I used yeah, to miserable. love watching him. Great player. Great player. Uh, you were great. Hey, how does somebody, if somebody says, hey, I want to uh, reach out to Leonard, how do they get a hold of you? Just go to my website, uh, send, an, send an email to info at leonardmarshall.com. Yeah, um, the, the website's got a lot of a lot of great uh, great photos, good information, a lot of smiling faces, too. That's a good thing. Yeah, a lot of good guys. Good a lot of good guys, man. All right, you are absolutely wonderful. Thank you for being on In Your Corner. You're welcome, fellas. All right, listeners, go out to in your, uh, corephysicaltherapy.com. Find out more. Great, great company with great people passionate about your success. Go to corephysicaltherapy.com. It's all there. Starts right there. Leonard, thank you. You're welcome. All right, listeners, we're going to have a, another great conversation shortly. So don't have go a away. great night, sports. Yeah. <laughs>